I see you, yeah you, flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases, a one-size-fits-all quick fix schemes that never seem to fit. My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. Welcome back to another episode of In the Red. I'm excited you're here today. Um, you know, I have a word that I use quite often in my vocabulary, and it's one that I've become very familiar with through the years as a need. Um, I think we live in a time and day. I'm just jumping straight in today. Is that okay? I'm glad you're here with me because I want. I think this is important. One of the largest areas I continue to see in our society, especially post-COVID, I don't think post-COVID was the reason, but I think it exposed it. And I think the world around us really thrives on establishing this place, like getting us to this place. And as a pastor, I know there's this enemy out there who thrives in this space. And that space is isolation, getting us to where we're all alone, getting alone with our thoughts. You know, suicide really stems from that place. It gets you to a place of isolation where you remove yourself from the people who could help you. Um, And maybe many times uh, people just didn't have a group of people who could help them anyways. So it was easy to isolate themselves because what they're actually doing is isolating themselves from the the hurtful people or the broken people that pushed them to this place. And that's that's a hard conversation because if you don't have people in your life who speak life into you, they constantly drain you, constantly bring you down to their place where they're stuck, you can get really um, bogged down. So then, even in a moment where you're doing something good for you by removing yourself from them, you still have a place of isolation. And the last thing, the last factory segment, the things you've been stuck in, those thoughts and negative processes that you got from this group of people or that person, now you're just set to stew with it by yourself. And it really can get you this place of being down. Um, our story and, and our family, my wife really struggled in this place of isolation as she was doing uh, some new things in her life, really some things that really challenged her uh, as a children's minister, uh, back into the workforce, all these things, and and felt like she wasn't doing it to the level that other people were doing it. So constantly comparing herself. So it began to isolate her from those who could help her in that situation, isolated her from me because she felt like she wasn't being the mother and the wife that she was supposed to be or had been in the past or all the things. So we get pushed away in the space of isolation. So isolation continues to be a problem. I'm thankful today that she didn't take her life. If you've heard our story, we we did a podcast episode on this before, but she got to the very end, almost did it. And um, really in a moment of prayer, a moment of connection to God said, God, if you're there, I need to know and drop that razor that night. And I'm, I'm thankful today that I still have my wife with me. A lot of people don't get that, um, that honor, that, that blessing. 
to have that person because in that moment of isolation, they were all alone and, and felt that way and didn't even know who to call or call out to. And we're even seeing this in our youth today is you get in these circles of negativity. My daughter is struggling with this right now. And as she's moved into high school and there is just a group of people that um, have connected with her that are just negative. They're constantly talking about how the world's against them, the negativity of this and that, and even bringing up suicidal thoughts and these having these statements. And this is blowing me away as a teenager that these are just the pools that we swim in, like this negativity. And it's it can even push you to that place of even amongst a group of people to feel isolated. So the word I want to I want to share with you today that's really been kind of my pursuit, and I didn't understand this just some years, years ago, my wife and I were actively involved in ministry in a church, but I would say that I did not have this, and I'm going to give you the word in a minute, just hold up, hold up, but in a season where we, we came out of that church and started something really fresh, it's, it was fresh for me, I wouldn't say it's new all over, because people do this all the time, we just don't highlight it enough when it comes to church, because church for us has become the building with steeples and um, a lot of parking spots and pews for us to come sit and worship together. The place where we come and have it all together for an hour, hour and a half, and then we go and go right back to our mess, right? In a place that we're supposed to be connected, many of us, even in that place, find ourselves isolated. But in a season for Morgan and I, we stepped out and started this, uh, this house church, and really what it was, it was a community of people coming together, and it didn't start that way. We tried to do church the way we'd always seen it done, and through just this very wavy path to get to where we should have been in the first place, we begin to shed some of those things and just begin to share space, share dinner, share thoughts, share conversations. And what I found was this, and this is the word I'm going to share with you today, because I believe everybody needs this. Um, if the enemy is isolation. If isolation is the place where we can struggle, then having a village of people. And this is a concept that I think we've lost through the years in the interstate system and the society that we live in. Um, I came from a small town in Arkansas. So even in the 1980s and, and early 90s, when I grew up in this community, there was a little feel of this deal. There was still what I would say, for the most part, was a village mindset. Now, my dad was a small town pastor, still is a small town pastor. And in that village mindset, it was the availability. I've seen him minister a lot of funerals through the years. And it always wasn't people who came to his church. It was people who lived in the community. But him being a community voice and a village voice and a connection there, there was always a, a connection to say, hey, can you come minister in this funeral? Can you minister to the family? And it wasn't only connected to the people in their church, but it was connected to the people in the village. Now, as that town has grown three to five thousand people now, depending on uh, which way the wind blows in one year to the next. But we've seen that kind of shift and change. We've seen the interstates that can, that have um grown around that town. Used to, everybody had to drive through there to get gas and groceries and to go to the next town. But now interstates have diverted people away. Gas stations on the perimeter have diverted people away. So these interstate concepts, the building, the let people travel farther, to let people travel faster, have broken the ability for villages to thrive and lean on one another. 
and this is the problem with society, period. The fact that we are a uh, microwave society, we have to do everything faster. We want everything quicker. We, we don't care how we get it anymore. Look at the ingredients in your food and you'll understand that. Gone are the days where in a village, someone would bake bread and it would be given out. Why? Because you can go to the grocery store and just get a loaf of bread now. If you really dive into it, what's in these loaves of bread? The things, the companies that are making these, although they'd say they'd love to make you think that they're all for your good. We are putting chemicals in our foods that make them last longer. We are putting chemicals in your food um, to help it get bigger. Because why? Because that makes money, right? We want more money, so we want it to last longer, which is not good. We want it to be bigger, which steroids and all that affects us. Like there's effects on all of this. Now, this is not a food-centered conversation, but I just wanted you to see the concept that it's bigger than we can even think. This, this faster, this bigger, this all these things has led to this broken concept that's distracted us and pulled us away because we're only out for ourselves. And in these village concepts, as we've made everything faster and we've uh, diverted people to get to here to here, we don't spend time together anymore. We don't lean on one another. We don't celebrate the gifts of others because we just struggle to be good at everything or pay for what we need. Instead of really one-on-one. So the, the old concept in a village was everybody had, uh, I'm going to use this word because it's a it's one I would use in church, but I think it's even in our villages, if we get to it, everyone had a calling or a gifting. You had the person who was good at this, uh, whether it be baking bread, we had a person who was good at sewing clothes, and there was a trading, a, a, a passing on, a, a transition, a, I'll give you this and you give me that. So in this place, everyone was taken care of through the giftings of everyone. Now, that's not very capitalistic, right? And I'll say this, I've, I believe in capitalism, but I am fearful of what capitalism does because just as we talked about with the food, money begins to be the driver and we lose the value of people. We lose the value of community. We lose the value of a village because we amplify money over all of that. So in this concept, I'm not socialist. I don't believe, because I think everybody has to work towards something. I think in the socialist environment, we can get even on the part where you just got people who don't do anything and we take care of them. That's called enabling. I'm not a fan of enabling. Uh, as a Christian, I don't think enabling is uh, biblical. I think helping and assisting somebody to get them on their feet but then challenging them to take their own steps. That's what Jesus did. He came to be with people who didn't know how to do it, showed them how to do it, picked them up, dusted them off, continued to upgrade them and help them. But then he left and said, I need you to go do it now. Like if you look in, I believe it's Philippians and one of the last chapters of that is Paul's writing a letter. He challenges that church to go work. He said, if you don't work, you don't eat. Wow, we don't talk about that a lot in the socialism, right? Because we would love to think that, oh, it just works. But broken concepts of man, political concepts of man, all of these things are tied to somebody needing to lead the charge. But really, I want to get back to this village concept, because here's where I think we have to begin to shift and change, because everyone needs a village, and a village really is a group of friends. It's funny as a pastor, I have people come to me and say, Pastor, I just I don't have any friends. 
So for me, I have to step back and survey the whole situation. Because if you don't have friends, it's like, okay, where are you, where are you looking? Uh, the old country boy. I mean, he's like, which ponds are you fishing in? Because if you're fishing in ponds with no fish in it, guess what? You're never going to find any fish. Um, if you're fishing in ponds that aren't good for you, then you may eat it and it'll make you sick, but then you're still looking for fish. It's the same way with friends. If you're going to places, if you're in places of isolation, if you're, um, I see this a lot with the younger generation. If you got your headphones on all the time, guess what? You're probably not going to make friends. I don't care how much you pray about it. God, just give me friends. And then every time you walk into society, you have headphones on, you're you're distracted by your phone, and God's like, here's a friend. Oh, you missed him. Here's another friend. Oh, you missed him. Why? Because you weren't looking for them. You were just so distracted or cut off or anxious and all the things so then in that very moment, you have eliminated the ability to do what God's trying to give you. This happens quite often, actually. Um, one of the things I've recently heard is we see it in like NBA players. A lot of these young guys are struggling with anxiety, social media, people, fans coming down on them and all these things. But I heard a reporter say in the old days of Michael Jordan, those guys, when you walked into the locker room, there was a village feel to it. Everybody was talking and, and sharing on a, on the NBA, on the, the uh, team planes going to a place. And um, there was conversation constantly. There were, it was a village of people who were trying to accomplish a goal of winning. But in that space, it brought them closer together. They, you know, and on a loss, they probably argued and struggled. But there was this connection. They say now when you go on these team planes or walk in these locker rooms, everybody's got headphones on. No one's talking anymore. No one's sharing space. No one's becoming connected in any way. It's why we see a lot of these teams that have one player that stands out and there's just not team orientation anymore because of the, the isolation that's occurring. It occurs not only on the court, but it occurs off the court. It's just the way of life now. Throw your headphones on, stick your nose in your phone, and you have all you need tricks, right? This is places where we're isolated, right? Because if you're isolated, now you're limited to only amount of information that you have access to. But in a village, when you bring this group of people together, every amount of information that comes together is now being accessed by this village. It's not being held hostage. Like, oh, no, no. Like, so when you're looking for friends, are you really looking or are you just waiting for one to fall in your lap? Because that's not how it happens. Friendship does not occur by just, I want you to be my friend. You're my friend. Let's go. There is a connection that begins to occur. You begin to share space. You begin to share information. You begin to share conversation. And in that moment of transition, two things, you realize, wow, this person has something for me. Like, wow, and I'm around them. They give me information I didn't have before. But you also realize in a valuable friendship that you have something to give because a friendship is lean, lean. Um, a scripture that's quoted quite often is Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. See, this is what a friendship really exemplifies is two coming together and sharpening one another. It's not... Uh, a sharp one and a dull one. And that's just the way it's always going to be. Because this is the second part to being a friend is there's so many people who are the dull person. 
the dull knife in the drawer, and they're continuing to look for sharp people to, to sharpen them. So they become this drain. That's not being a friend as well. If you're the one that constantly has to be helped, guess what? That's not a friendship. That's a therapy session. This is the second piece you have to have to arrive at if you're looking for a friend. First, you need to know where to look and you, you need to know to look. Second, you need to realize, am I really looking for a friend or am I looking for someone to complain to? Am I looking for a pity party? Am I looking for a therapist? Because that's not a friendship. So then you struggle in, in that space. The last space I would say is if, if you're not, if you're not looking in the right spot or you're looking for therapists, what do you bring to the table as far as attitude? As a pastor, there's people in my life who are my friends and I enjoy spending time with them. There's times that I do act as a therapist or a pastor to them, but it's not all the time. There's times that I can lean into them and trust them and share some things and they can help me through it. It's this sharing of space. There's times that I can come and I can just express how I feel and it's not uh, offensive to them. It, it doesn't, we can talk about it, but I'm like, oh, this is driving me crazy. But there's some people because of their negative attitude, I just have zero desire to spend excess time with. I can be with you to be a pastor. I can be with you to help you through some things, but I'm not going to let my hair down and I'm not going to be in a space of friendship with you if you carry a negative, angry vibe. And I see this all over. I've had people that I'm connected with at Facebook and the, and over the last two episodes, I've talked kind of about this, is the negativity in our words and how we attack people. I don't want to be associated with that. I'll try to help you through that. If you give me access, I'm not going to be your friend. So then the, the third piece of this puzzle is I have to look into the mirror and see what I'm bringing with me. Con, hard concepts like uh, what's been passed down to me. Well, my dad was an angry person, so I'm an angry person. Okay, did you enjoy your dad being angry? So why are you identified by? At some point, you have to change. Like, this is the piece. So if you want a village, if you're looking for friends to, to strengthen yourself, it always is going to start with you. Am I looking in the right place? Am, am I looking for a pity party? Or am I actually looking for a place that we can both thrive? And what do I bring to the table in that conversation? I have value to bring. It may not be what's been passed down to me. It may be me, my ability to walk out of that. Because in order to understand friendship, as a pastor, I'll tell you this. There's one true friend that we gloss over so many times. We go to these places of sympathy. We go to these places of pity. We, we constantly seek friends, but we're not really looking. And the one friend that means more than one ever will is the one who did the thing that not many people would do for you. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. It was Jesus talking before he went to the cross. He called you friend. And you're like, I don't even know this Jesus guy. Why would he do that to me? I don't know. I can't fathom it. I don't understand why he did it for me. And I've been in church my whole life. Was I that good? No, I was not a good friend. See, this is the difference between our relationship and friendship with others and our friendship with him. He became a friend to us before we ever became a friend to him. And that's what he sees you as, a friend. 
He laid his life down for you. That's the first place you have to start when looking for a friend is someone who cares about you and you don't even know them. Because in that moment, what it happens is you begin to receive that, that love, that admiration, that friendship. You'll realize that you've been given something you didn't earn. And now you'll look not to find friends, but to be a friend. Now you see the posture shift, right? Everybody's looking a friend, but nobody's looking to be a friend. Everybody wants friends to come to them, but they don't want to bring friendship to them. That's what Jesus did for you. Your inability to accept that because you don't believe in the Bible or don't know how you feel about Jesus or maybe this was all made up has put you in a place where you can't even give friendship to people because you can't receive the one friendship that's been given to you that means more than any other. See, this is the shift and the change that's required of all of us at some point. Are we called to be served or are we called to serve others? I found myself in a village of people who came with a heart to serve others. Even as the pastor of this group, I find many people often serving me. And it's not to say, oh, he's the pastor. I got to serve him. And it's not me saying I need to be served. It's the moments that I don't even realize I need it when somebody comes in and says, hey, I was just thinking about you and got you this. Or, hey, how can I take this off your plate? Or how can I support you? That it means the most because I'm not out here begging for it. I wasn't looking for it, but somebody saw that I needed it. That's a true friend. That's a true village. So I challenge you today, if you've been looking for friends and just feel like you don't have friends, we could even expand this out. I've been looking for a spouse. I have people say this, young people all the time. I'm looking for a wife, but I just can't find one. I'm looking for a husband and I just can't seem to find one. Jesus is in that same regard. What did he say in Galatians? The Bible says in Galatians, men love your, your wife as Jesus loved the church. See, when you understand how he loves you, that friendship that brings it in, like now you're just not looking for a wife so you can justify yourself to your family. So you can have kids, right? Because they're on you. You're not trying to justify yourself to those around you in comparison. Like I'm a 35 year old and I don't have a spouse. No, what you're actually looking is for one, someone you can love like no other, that you can serve like no other, but also that has the heart to love and serve you like no other. Because now in that place of connection, you'll have the most important village you'll ever find. Your home, your spouse, maybe your kids at some point. You begin to create the heart of a village, people together, serving one another, working together for the greater good, the greater good. Sorry, that was a, uh, a movie reference. If you got it, you got it. If you don't, let it go. I challenge you today. What are you really looking for? Because if you say you're looking for a friend, the first step is becoming a friend. Setting down and listening. If you say you're looking for a friend, stop being so isolated. Put yourself out there. Start having conversations. Ask questions. Learn. Information's the key. Maybe even learning about yourself and what you have to bring. Shifting and changing some things that you just thought you were and realizing, hmm, 
Maybe that's not a good quality to bring to a friendship. Understanding that maybe some of those qualities, a good friend as you connect with them can help you get the information to help you realize to walk away from it, to let it go, to lay it down that that was never your value in the first place. I encourage you today. It's time for us to stop valuing isolation and just getting alone. And it's time for us to become friends. Are you in search of a village? Be on the lookout. Because as we shift and change, and we're all looking for a village, be careful. You may just find it. You may just find a group of people who value you, who value the things that nobody else sees, who speaks life into you when you don't deserve it, who's there to pick you up when you need it, there to give you a hand before you ever ask for it. Those are the places where we thrive. Those are the places where we lock arms and do it together. And slowly, the fear, the anxieties begin to fade. Because there's an enemy that's not winning anymore by isolating us. God bless you. I hope this has helped you. I hope you're that person. And maybe something just clicked. Maybe I've been looking for love in all the wrong places. Maybe that place starts with this Jesus guy. Maybe this place starts in the mirror. God bless you. Have an amazing day. I can't wait till the next time we're together. Be good. Let's go. Let's go.